Like, God damn it, I love this city. That's why it's just like, I mean, we've talked about it before, but whenever someone just like, so whenever someone was asking me, like, what are you coming back home? Fucking never. I might die in this city, and I don't care what that. <laughs> And welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy Max Lyon. What up? Watch Robcoms and then record our thoughts and then post them on the internet for your listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing on this warm Saturday? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Um <laughs> I uh, I took a pull of a tequila bottle before we recorded. Yes, yes. And, Renee is uh, back to drinking, and I'm also halfway through this tall boy of half acre pony hillside. Hell yes! See, all the tens and tens of listeners and I support <laughs> this beautiful thing we like to label as alcoholism. Yes. The tens and tens of listeners. That is correct. Um, oh, man. I'm trying to find out how much the ABV is on this half acre. A 5.5%. Nice. Half acre is solid. That's a half, Yes. They have some good Which beer. Which is a Chicago brewery. And you know what else is in Chicago? My best friend's wedding. Which is what we watched this week. I'm not getting married. <laughs> true you know my but yet we watched my best friend's wedding we did julia roberts dilmet moroni cameron diaz uh vehicle before we get into the stats do you have any initial memories of this film i doubt it because you kept asking me what the name of the film was <laughs> as, as i do every week Every time Thank Renee you. picks a movie, I swear to God, I have to text him like the day before. Go, what movie are we watching again? <laughs> Not out of lack of interest, just because I always consistently forget. I don't know why. That's just how bad my memory is. I'm probably gonna have Alzheimer's at the age of 45. <laughs> but um, uh, no, this is the first time I watched it. Uh, I have absolutely no memory of it whatsoever like i don't think i've ever heard of it let alone seen any trailers for it or anything so it was completely fresh material which was kind of cool um so yeah i guess at the age of 32 in the city of chicago that's my first memory (laughs) well my memory of this film uh, i saw it when it was in theaters and it came out in 97 so i was nine um Man, and you as a kid watching rom-coms, I swear to God. I'm telling you, my mom took advantage of the parental guidance and, you know, <laughs> PG-13 and R movies. And why hire a babysitter when she could just take... I mean, I started reading before I was... The, when I was like three years old. So I was always an advanced, mature kid. So that's why my mom always took me to movies and shit like that. She knew I could handle it as a kid. At least, mostly. Uh, yeah, we're using the word mature liberally here, but yes. Yes, liberally. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, I will take another pool of this tequila bottle. Don't you dare test it. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why are you taking a sip of mine? <laughs> um, no, but this particular movie, not only did I see it with my mom, but I saw it with my sister, Rebecca, who has been on the podcast before. Not my sister, Monica, who's been the other rom-com co-conspirator that I've mentioned before. But my younger, older sister, Rebecca. Um, so... She and I actually talked about it last night because she and I were on the phone just chatting. And mm. we talked about remembering going to Movie Land 7 in downtown Salem and seeing it in the main theater there. And that was the only time I've seen it. Um, I tried watching it again one night, like I'd say about four or five years ago. And it was after a night of drinking, though, and I fell asleep half hours through. <laughs> <laughs> so those are my only experiences trying to watch this movie. But I did know... I do know the famous scenes of this movie. I do know that this is considered a rom-com classic. Uh, Entertainment Weekly had a reunion of the four principals um, last year. Uh, the four principals? Uh, yeah, Julia Roberts, Thurman Mulroney, Cameron Diaz. And oh, 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 gotcha. Um, yeah, so they uh, they reunited and had an interview on Inter- in Entertainment Weekly and everything else like that last year. Um, and so... Yes, um, it's it's considered a, a rom com classic, as I mentioned. Um, so let's uh, let's get into the stats here. Uh, so, my best friend's wedding is a nineteen ninety seven American romantic comedy film directed by P J Hogan, who also directed Muriel's Wedding, which was a uh, cult classic from ninety five that was set in Australia. Australia. Um, Australia. Yeah. And it's from a screenplay written by Ronald Bass. Uh, the film stars Julia Roberts, Dermot Mulroney, uh, Cameron Diaz, and Rupert Everett. Um, and the film uh, was released June 20th of 1997. So right around this time, 23 years ago. Hmm. And it, it's set in summertime Chicago. So it's almost perfect timing that during our quote-unquote wedding season... Right around when it was released, in the perfect weather, we're reviewing this film. This is pretty much as if we planned it almost. And <laughs> and it is set in the best city on earth. As a, as a just summertime shy, there is nothing better than summertime. You know what? Let's take a quick let's take a quick detour here before we go further in the stats. Let's details. talk about summertime Chicago. Summertime Chicago is the shit and. Anyone who re- says otherwise is not capable of understanding just how beautiful and perfect it is here. I'll talk about my experience. So growing up, I always thought Chicago was a cool city. You see Michael Jordan, you think you see the, you know, the pictures and the skys and the skyscrapers and all that sort of stuff. Just being a kid in Oregon, I thought, oh, that seems like a cool city. Right. I never thought I'd visit it, but I thought that'd be a cool city. Right. Then you came. Then you came out here for architecture. You you got to you know, come out here and everything else like that. So then I finally got an opportunity as I was working after college to go visit you. And I visited you on a St. Patty's weekend mm-hmm. um, and found out how Chicago rolls on St. Patty's, <laughs> which is hard. They yep. roll hard. We've talked about <laughs> those, those, uh, you know, experiences and everything. Um, the driving that they do from O'Hare it reminded me of when you picked up Sean <laughs> from that St. Patty's. 
<laughs> yeah, that was uh, that reminded me of that situation. Even when I drove completely, perfectly, and legally, and cautiously, and at the speed limit. At the speed limit, completely not inebriated at all. Not inebriated. We had not gone to a bar for four hours beforehand. Beforehand, where there was all-you-can-drink drinks. No, not at all. And I did not get completely drunk before noon. Mm -mm. And then I did not actually go pick up my best friend from the airport. And I did not get to the airport 20 minutes faster than Google estimated. <laughs> nope, never. Not not you. Not me. That was not me. I'm a very safe driver. I'm not at all like Cameron Diaz's character when she's <laughs> Except I am. That is exactly how I drive. And that is kind of what happened. But no. Uh, but like, yeah, it was, it was a great weekend, but at the same time, it was like 30 some odd degrees. It was a, you know, because it, it's Chicago, yeah. so it was cold. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was sunny, but it was cold. Um, but I visited Chicago a second time before last week when I mentioned the Columbus wedding. I mentioned that I visited you. And mm. so for a couple days, I got to experience summertime Chicago a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like what it's like with warmer weather and walking around in t shirt and shorts and seeing the city with nicer weather. I remember we went to that bar right by the United Center, the uh the Oh, West End. Oh no, yes. we went to Third Rail, Third Rail. Yeah, Third Rail because it was like uh it had the railroad, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember going to that and like just having the windows open to Madison Street and like just how old yeah. it was just like and that and that area wasn't quite as developed as it is now. No. And, you know, and everything else and it's just like Summertime Chicago is different. Like it is so cool. It is here in the summertime. And I remember a saying that you guys told me when I first came out here, which was you survive a deal with the winners for the summer in Chicago. Yep. Yep. And nothing could be true. It totally. is a one of a kind experience. Unfortunately, there's also a pandemic outside that I feel like no one's respecting, so I'm watching it from my window. But <laughs> as you should be, like that's that's nonetheless, it is a beautiful view from my window, and I will continue to watch it from my window. But and I that's, don't trust anyone outside. That's coming from like you and I, we like we grew up with Oregon summers. Like that's Oregon yes. summers are fantastic. Oregon summers are a different animal. They're yeah. so beautiful. Like we've we've talked about like going to Katie's wedding last year yes. and like how much how much of a reminder of Oregon summers it was and how amazing yeah. it was. But you're right, yeah. it's a completely different league. Yes. And I still remember the first summer I spent here. Uh I it was I moved here in August and had like two weeks to kill before grad school started. So I literally just went to the beach the whole time. And it was the hottest summer, I, still the hottest summer I've ever experienced in Chicago, where it was like 105 degrees consistently for like a week and a half straight. And I would just go to the beach, lie on the beach, take a dip in the, la- in the lake every now and then, which is not a lake, it's, a, an, it's an ocean. And to be able to 
to to sit on the beach to dip yourself in fresh water that is like the perfect temperature with the skyline right there yes oh my god like i didn't like i never wanted to leave i would go there at like 10 a.m and stay there until the sunset and i would just like all right this is where that this is where i'm meant to be i think of last year when we went to the beach that one week that one day when we had a bunch of people there and we had you know we were out in the lake for like four or five hours saw the skyline and then afterward we took a literal like five minute uber or at least i did to your apartment and then went to your rooftop pool and hung out there oh yeah yeah and then afterward like just fucked around and played video games until the navy pier shot off fireworks that we could see from your apartment window oh my god yeah yeah you're totally right yeah that's a a fucking summer saturday in chicago that's amazing yeah and the in the fireworks just every day every wednesday and saturday get launched off the navy pier from memorial day to labor day yep oh my god yeah that's that's going to be that's going to be a like watch the COVID cases here in a couple of weeks because or shit by the time we release this on well no because it's gonna come out this point but yeah like in a couple of weeks watch the COVID cases because there are gonna be a bunch of dumb people trying to go to Navy Pier that's gonna be social distance and it's already a small space that a bunch of people cram into to watch the fireworks and now you're going to eliminate that space to try to create social distancing and you're still probably gonna have the same amount of people trying to go there. Not to mention, not just Navy Pier. I guarantee you, there's going to be so many things in the park, like barbecues and oh, yeah. parties like that. I'm sure there will be at least a handful of people that try to rush the beaches. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So. And then also, there's music festivals, but of course, those are all gone right now. Yeah, yeah. Next I year, I do love the Lakeside music festivals. Yeah. Next next year's Riot Fest is going to be dope as fuck. I'm already thinking about buying a ticket. Next year, everything is going to be dope because, like, everyone's going to be looking to rekindle everything they missed out on this year. But like, next year's Riot Fest is going to be headlined by My Chemical Romance, a a reunion of them, uh, the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, run the jewels and pixies are like the headliners really yes it's just like oh cool like run the jewels my favorite like rap outfit right now and like three bands that are just like you know really big from the previous days it's just like right solid old school punk yeah right Fest continues to be the festival for those who love rock in their 30s I am a 30-something. I loved rock when I was in high school. That's the festival for me. Anyway, shout out Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, we've waxed poetic about summertime, Shy. Uh, But, uh, what is the running time of the film My Best Friend's Wedding? Um... uh, it was longer, but it was definitely under two hours. I'm going to go hour 45. Solid. is hour 44. Hot damn! <laughs> 104. 104 minutes. Uh, 
the budget for the film is $38 million. They spent $38 million making this film. Okay. How much did it make in the worldwide box office? Uh, 150. 299.3 million. My God, I am always under. It was a huge hit when it came out. Uh, Domestically, at the time of release, it made 127 million. It made 21 in its opening weekend back in 97. Wow. Which, you know inflation <laughs> you know that's a significant amount um but yeah it when its initial run like it made you know four times its budget just domestically not talking about worldwide and then what it made off of like rentals and everything else like that so damn well that's actually pretty impressive yes um so now i feel even worse about not ever hearing of it <laughs> it was surprising that you had not heard of this film, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, what is the Rotten Tomato score for this film? There's uh, 59 reviews. Well, I think it was a, a decent rom-com. Everything you've told me has led me to believe that it is a, a decent model of a rom-com. So that means Rotten Tomatoes probably gave it a 5%. Because Rotten Tomatoes is fucking stupid. It is a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh my god, they got two movies in a row, right? It's like, it's right where it should be, I feel. With that rating, honestly. Um, so, a couple, uh, couple of reviews here. Uh, a good one from Leonard Clady in Variety. Anchored by skilled comedian Julia Roberts, the skewered variation on jealousy and the wrong woman doing battle on the aisles is a winning balance of the familiar and the novel. Hmm. Um, a uh, Lisa Alspector, Chicago reader, gave it a bad review, saying, the dragging narrative of this 1997 comedy is tough to sit through. There are even several overproduced musical numbers but it does have an intriguing subversive element that I don't want to give away. <laughs> Overproduced uh, musical numbers like the opening credits. <laughs> oh God. We'll talk about that very shortly. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. So then uh, Carol Buckland, the CNN.com, I think did a pretty good job with this one. Although the director Hogan stages most of the scenes in a straightforward way for friend's wedding, there are some charming offbeat touches here. One wishes he'd mind some of the story's kinky subtext a bit more, but hey, this is a commercial minded flick. Hmm. Hmm. And I know exactly what they mean with that. So uh, let's start at the beginning with this film. That fucking, that goddamn credit scene, which I. I've I have two words for it, and you you already said them to me before I watched it. Fast forward. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's so out of place and dumb. Like I almost put out my there. It's just so the thing with Muriel's wedding, which I mentioned, PJ Hogan's former film before this, right? it had like it had like an ABBA soundtrack. It was kind of 
Mamma Mia before Mamma Mia. <laughs> like, there's a lot of ABBA in that uh, one. Like, okay. So Peach is a fan of, like, just, like, singing and music and, and film and everything. So that was just sort of – I feel like he was trying – I feel like this was just, like, an idea that was inspired by watching, like, Anne-Margaret and Bye Bye – or, yeah, Bye Bye Birdie. Sure. Um, like, because I don't know, like, there was an episode of Mad Men where they talked about, or where they tried to do a commercial of, like, mimicking Anne Margaret and Bye Bye Birdie, but it's just, like, her with, like, a blue background singing, like, Bye Bye Bird, like, this huge number, and it's just, like, her just dancing alone on a blue background. Mm. Like, it's, like, kind of a iconic image of 60s film you know, yada, yada. And I feel like this was kind of PJ Hogan's like homage to it. And, but the word unnecessary comes to mind. <laughs> just like, it's completely yes. like, dog, just give me, give me Chicago skyline with drone shots and some mid nineties alternative fare. Play a cranberry song or something in the background, and then let's fucking get in the movie. Now. <laughs> it's just like you can, I know you could even do a typical rom com number if you want to. Like I, I am, I am totally in favor of as much musical numbers as you want in a rom com, as long as they're purposeful. Mm-hmm. And this one was just like, okay, so I sat through the opening credits, and then it skips to a brand new scene, and we never see those women again. Yeah, we, we never. Like the song is never brought back except for the very yeah. end when all what's his face says is like it's a it's a familiar song comes on. Like it, it could have been any song. Not, that I no, the song never comes back. The Wishing and Hoping, like by Dusty Springfield, that that doesn't come back. That comes back at the end. The end where? When the um the the gay the gay friend the editor what's his name? No, that's that's from the middle, the the middle one where they sing in the lobster shack. Oh, it's that song, not the very beginning song. The very beginning song is a completely different song by a completely different artist. You're right. Yeah. Well, then what the fuck? I know! I know! I told you ahead of time. Fast forward through it. Because I remember... That was the one thing I remember from the drunken time I tried to watch this film. Watching through that, and then as I was drunk, even being like, the fuck is this? Like, I don't get it. It was, like, even with your warning, I was sitting there watching it, and it was like a train wreck, where I was like, I can't look away. Like, what is happening? This is stupid. But... You know, I have to sit there and think that maybe it will be related to the movie, so I'm giving it a chance, even though I'm judging it like crazy while watching it. Because it was your first time, you kind of had to. Right. But because it wasn't my first time and I knew ahead of time, I could just say, fuck you. Yeah. And I should have taken your advice. It was three minutes, four minutes of, of life I'll never get back. Which is sad, because it's a good song. It is a good song, but... Yeah. And Dusty Springfield's good. I think Dusty Springfield sings that. I think you're right. We're going to find out for sure because I don't like being inaccurate. Uh, you're always inaccurate. No, you are, bitch. <laughs> it is Dusty Springfield. 
<laughs> See, you were wrong. <laughs> Shut up. I said Dusty Springfield. Anyway. Um, so, <laughs> and then, you know, they, they have the whole intro scene with the, the, yeah, the, uh, I, I'm not sure how to go through this film. Like, do we go bit by bit? Like, I feel, I think we just, I feel like we kind of have to go like just chronological with this because there's yeah. so much to talk about. Like, so I feel like the first thing that's worthwhile, like, yeah, we get a nice little introduction to George and Julianne's relationship and how they're mm-hmm. having a dinner and he's her editor and she's written a book and all that. But, you know, she, because the only thing that's worthwhile though, she mentions her Michael. First off, possessive, my Michael. Is right? I noticed which, that too. So yeah, she uses the possessive my Michael, which rem- <laughs> I, I cringed when she said that. I was like, really? That's what you're going with here? So, I, I don't. I think I've mentioned my friend Kate before. You have? Yeah, yeah. On the podcast? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, she and I have been friends since high school. I love her to death. And she loves me. We, we love each other. So, we, like, when I watch this movie, there's aspects of this relationship that reminds me of her and I's friendship. Mm-hmm. But like, not necessarily like the toxic aspects of it. <laughs> um, also, uh, we didn't have necessarily a hot month, quote unquote. Um, you know, nothing, nothing that salacious. I mean, they also she, she doesn't elaborate on what hot month means. Like that I can mean, mean anything. hot month in in college has to be fucking. Like Julianne and Michael have fucked. He well, says considering he's he, more, yeah, considering he says he says he's seen her more naked than that, yes, yeah. they, they fucked. All right, that's that's for sure. For sure. So anyway, not necessarily. He could have gotten sure, really sure. drunk. For sure, it, for sure. What it, else is there to do in Rhode Island? They went to Brown. It, 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 he could have gotten really drunk and underperformed. Okay, we can't assume. We're not talking about you at the zip tie right now. Stop. Son of a bitch. <laughs> You brought it up yourself with your stupid thoughts. <laughs> I, why do I talk? I feel so bad. I'm sorry I said that to you. <laughs> this alcohol's made me a monster. It's made me a monster. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Buckle up, tens and tens of listeners. This is what you're in for. Yeah, this uh, is going to be good. Yeah, it's going to be good. Anyway. <laughs> But no, I like, but Kate and I have this relationship where we joke about how, you know, we're, we're going to end up together sort of thing. And the whole, we've had the joke of the backup marriage plan of, you know, but this age of you and I haven't then yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, which was the whole, you know, beginning plot point. Um, and then like her mom always still asked about me. What age did you guys set it at? Because, like, you guys aren't getting uh, any younger. Like, would you set it at, like, <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> I feel like the initial, the initial one was, like, 30-ish. And then, but then the joke was, like, you know, when she and I had to chat about it, she said 30. And then she's like, well... Actually, 
maybe 31. And then, like, later on the conversation, she's like, actually, let's push it back to 32. So, like, she, she, and, I, she and I both have the same kind of, like, we're, we're ever the optimists. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't. You know, I'm sure right now it's, like, pushed to 40. <laughs> but with uh, a bunch yeah. of stipulations and like yeah. addendums and everything yeah exactly but i'll tell kate that i mentioned her in this podcast and hey i love you kate um just you, you tell me when and where and we're, we're there at the altar all right? i can tell you where yeah. it's chicago that's where <laughs> Which, yeah anyway so and that's where michael is because he's getting married when he tells juliet about it juliet thinks that they're gonna he's gonna cash in on the whole you know, getting married together. But what she hears, he's getting married to someone else. Immediate jealousy. And have you ever had that with someone where like you were friends with someone of the opposite sex and then once they got with someone, you felt a pang of jealousy? Like, why not me? Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Like, I, go ahead. It, yeah, like, um, I've even had the, I, I've done the, the deal, you know, where like at a certain age you, you make a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, totally like friends, exes, you name it. Just constant jealousy. Like it, it's not even about necessarily the person and like necessarily losing that person. It's more of like they they framed it perfectly in the movie where her friend asks her several different questions to see how she feels about it. Like, are you sure it's about, are you sure it's about him or is it about you winning? Yes. And like, that's, that's totally a legitimate question because I felt the exact same thing where it's, you know, yes. you, you're constantly wondering like, have I won life? Like, have I, have I beaten out this com- competition and why we use marriage as the measurement for it, I don't fucking know. Because it's a common societal, like, step. You know, first That's comes true. love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby and a baby carriage. Did you just make that up? No, that's a fucking childhood rhyme that I heard since childhood. Really? Have you not heard that before? Like, No. So what, so what, or such and such is something, something, something sitting in a tree. Okay. Like whatever names are. So like, you know. Oh yeah. The decay. Yes. S I N G. Yeah. I yeah. know that one. You know, like Max and Julia sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love. Then comes marriage. Then comes a baby and a baby carriage. That's not all. That's not all. The- that's how that. That's how that finishes. I all I ever knew was up until sitting in a tree, K S S I N G. That's all I knew. Then, then there's first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby to baby carriage. Like I learned that when I was a fucking kid, like when I was six, seven, eight. Like that's just the thought process and societal pressure of the next step, quote unquote, in our society. Oh my god! All the underlying like subliminal pressures on society. Yeah, just not allowing people to just live their lives as as such, <sighs> and this whole ticking time limit that we put on ourselves, which only a lot, increases the amount of pressures and yeah, and 
feelings of failure that we feel when something hasn't happened at a certain point in time. Which which but, turns you into like a desperate person too, because then you you feel that pressure where it's like I I need to force it to happen. Yeah, and all these are underlying pressures that are there with the main characters in Julianne and Michael, but they're never explicitly said. Which I thought was a, a great way to do it. Like We can imply them. Yeah. We can infer them. As we go back to what I said at the proposal, there's, you know, infer, and then there's show, and then there's tell. Right. And there's a lot of inferring of their previous, like, you can infer about who these people are, because you can, at our age now, in our early 30s, we can remember our late 20s and the kind of pressure and panic of, I'm the single one out of at a wedding in our in my late 20s hell we're still feeling that especially i mean we're feeling it even more now Fuck, we felt it last year yeah we were in our early 30s as single ones at a small wedding in oregon with people we did not know it can also be if you if you i will acknowledge if you rechannel it a little bit or rethink about it differently you can use it to your advantage where it's like if you if you just reframe it in your mind it can be liberating because you can be at a wedding like that and acknowledge that like i'm in my early 30s and i'm single i can do whatever i want at this wedding i can dance my ass off i can drink i can eat whatever i want i can do whatever I want and just be myself. Just and that's how I choose to look at it. I'm completely content with where I'm at relationship wise. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's the, that's the real key to growing up is that when you're in your twenties, you do have that desperation. You do have that pressure from society that is convincing you that you need to reach that milestone. But the other milestone that gets swept under the rug is just accepting who you are and just enjoying yourself in the moment, just enjoying your life in the moment. And whatever comes after that happens. Of course, with Julianne in the movie, she takes this to the extreme, which is why this movie exists. So she takes this need of, being with someone and someone she loves and someone she cares about, she cannot lose this pillar she's had in her life because they, the one thing that you, you also infer is how close they really are. They've been through everything with each other. They constantly are talking to each other and everything else like that about their previous life experiences throughout their 20s. And now that pillar, that post, is no longer going to be there because he's going to be married with someone else. Yeah. And that's a scary thought to all of a sudden to think you have that in your back pocket and realize it's no longer there. It's like losing your phone. Where's my phone? <laughs> like, think about the panic if you lost your phone somewhere. That's true. Yeah. I know it sounds trivial, but this is like the equivalent of losing your phone. In a first, first world problems. Yeah, I know. First world problems, but it's a real panic. And that's what this is. And then... She flies over to Chicago. She lands in O'Hare. They have their little, like, weird Eskimo kiss. And then she meets Cameron Diaz, a.k.a. Kimmy. They had a they had a lot of scenes in O'Hare, which I was kind of surprised by. I was like, I was yeah. sitting here the whole time going, how did they 
how did like how much did they have to pay to shut down this part of O'Hare to, to film? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I, I mean the budget was thirty eight million, so they had to have some scratch to fucking throw into it. But my thought was when she's driving back, she's driving from the south. It's like you didn't go to fucking Midway; you went to O'Hare. And when she sees her exit, her yes. exit is the fucking convention center yep. exit. Which yep. Is south yep. Of, I know you said too. <laughs> These are Chicago problems, everyone. Just fucking bear with us, right? <laughs> I totally she, noticed that too. Thank then, you. She, Thank you for bringing that up. Takes, and then when she takes her fucking exit, she all of a sudden her exit takes her to the goddamn north side of Lakeshore, where she comes off the LaSalle exit and is driving the north side of, of Lakeshore on the opposite side where the Drake Hotel is. And it's like, the whole time I watched that scene, I'm like, fuck y'all. <laughs> you totally just took the like nicest pictures and just said, look, everyone in Chicago, just bear with us. We're just going to make this look cool. It's like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> well, I did not take the convention center exit and come off goddamn LaSalle onto Lakeshore. Eat a dick. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's like, that's like towards the end where she's chasing after Dermot Mulroney, whatever his character's name yeah. is. Uh, yeah. Michael, Michael. Yeah, and she's Mike. chasing after Michael, who's chasing after Kimmy. And she's yeah. like, I'm racing down Michigan Avenue. And then suddenly she ends up at Union Station. Well, he takes a lot. Like, he takes some turns. So you can kind of argue okay. that. You got to take a lot of fucking turns, though. <laughs> <laughs> to get to the Union Station. <laughs> like, that's it's across the city. That's very true. Like, it's no. And so I'm sitting here going, wait, now we're at Union Station. That's nowhere near Michigan Avenue. Motherfuckers. Yeah. That's but, like legit blocks upon blocks in downtown from Yeah. Like it's the other side of the loop. Yeah, yeah. it's the other side of downtown. Yeah, which it, you know, for a real city is, you know, a decent size cuz downtown is yeah. big. But, <laughs> yeah. But it, I'm so glad you brought that up because now I also started thinking about like, oh, this is what it must feel like for everyone else who has ever lived in New York because every mm-hmm. other movie in the world is filmed in New York. Yes. And what somebody talked about when I talked about my, with my sister Rebecca last night, she mentioned how like when she watched the movies set in L.A., she's like, I know that, I know that, I know that, because she's lived in L.A. on two separate occasions for multiple years. So she sees L.A. the same way we see Chicago. In this right, movie. right. Yeah, it's a trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so glad you noticed that, too. Yeah, I mean, I was sitting there the whole time going... About summertime Chicago, we had to talk about actual Chicago a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah convention center is nowhere near O'Hare. What are you doing? Yeah, it's just like what are we like? That's over by fucking Millennium Park. Like I know exactly where you're driving. This is stupid. I do have I do have a fun fact actually about O'Hare though. Okay. I met the designer of the part of O'Hare that they filmed in. Oh, nice. I didn't just meet him. I actually worked with him. Nice. So for, like, you know that back in my old job, I worked on, I got to work on the O'Hare renovation for like three months. Yes. And that was amazing. Like, I cannot wait to see that when it's done. Of course, everyone listening, 
O'Hare will be renovated and it will be a brand new terminal and this it'll be gorgeous and amazing and like tons of natural elements and natural light and trees inside and it'll be if it's built the way it's supposed to be it'll be one of the best airport experience you've ever had it'll be amazing it's the way it's supposed to be but yeah. that's not going to happen until like 2029 or something it's it's like a way <laughs> Um, yeah. but one of the lead designers of the, of the O'Hare expansion was the original designer of O'Hare and he worked for the same firm I did. And, um, he and I actually worked together several times during the course of those three months where we were collaborating. And, um, it was only afterwards that I found out that he was actually the original designer of it. Nice. And, and I was like, oh, I had no fucking idea. I'm just working like side by side with him, just like shooting the shit, passing ideas off to him and stuff. And then afterwards, one of my buddies at work is like, yeah, you know, he designed the original O'Hare Terminal 1, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, well, the, I should have taken back some of the um, comments I said about it. <laughs> So I, I did enjoy that while watching. I'm like, oh, I know who actually worked on that. I know who designed that. <laughs> nice. So I think the next big scene in the film. Karaoke. Is, well, I want to talk. I Honestly, yes, that's technically like the plot's next biggest film. But briefly, I want to go to, at the time, Comiskey Park. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Comiskey Park, a.k.a. Let's talk about... Okay, first US of all... Cellular Field, a.k.a. now Guaranteed Rate Field, a.k.a. the G-Spot. <laughs> Wait, is that really what it's nicknamed? Uh, no, that's just a nickname that a Southsider who I'm friends with, shout out uh, Vinny Bubash, uh, he, he called it the G-Spot once. Oh that's my awesome. God, that's awesome. I know, so... Because because guaranteed rate field is the dumbest fucking name they could possibly give it. Especially when you pair it with the logo, which is a downward arrow. Like, yeah. As, aside from the fact that it is very appropriate for the Chicago White Sox and their yeah. results as a ball club, yeah. plummeting ever downward, um, <laughs> it's the dumbest fucking name. Like, I'm so fucking tired of these corporate fucking names because they do that to ballparks where it's just it's getting so much worse where like yeah. when it first started happening and it was like kind of passable or like you know some of these like you could overlook and like it'd be fine now it's just like what is this shit like guaranteed rate field yeah the f whatever anyway <laughs> well first for, off for me Sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. For you, what? All I was going to say was for me, this movie, like, we got Chicago, we got baseball, we got Julia Roberts. I'm set. Yeah. <laughs> I I love that they went to that park. Like, the I believe I read some trivia where they initially wanted to do Wrigley Field, but they realized it'd be way too hard to film there. So they yeah. decided, like, that particular scene, so they went to the White Sox that did it at Comiskey at the time. So uh, I like the, the whole scene where she you know, says hi to Mike's dad and Mike's younger brother. And like, 
you know, flirts with the whole, it just, like, I've got moves you've never seen. And yeah. Like, she's showing off her midriff the entire movie. Oh, my God. She worked hard enough to, she worked hard enough to put, to, like, she obviously was in good shape. She had worked hard enough to put put herself in that good shape. So that's completely understandable. And just like, go ahead, girl. Like, <laughs> show your midriff. That, yep. was the that was the style in the 90s, which I'm okay with. I'm totally okay with you. Yep, bring that yeah, shit I, back. I agree. Anyway, um, but I like the scene that they had on the opposite side where, like, it, it appeared that the owner's box was on the first baseline, but then they ended up on the third baseline where now there's that brewery. You oh, know, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, those in Chicago know. But, like, it seemed like where that brewery is is where they were standing. So, like, they had walked through the whole third level to get to that, that end of the Yeah, park. yeah. And then that's where they had the discussion about, like, she lets me hug her, you know, in public as long as I want. Yeah. And then. And Which I thought uh, was a great conversation to have. And yeah, Julianne was like, did I not? And then she's like, well, I've changed sort of thing. But it's just like. That's her first realization that she's never been that open in a relationship, which is a real interesting, which is the most interesting aspect of this entire film is her lack of vulnerability as a main character. And it really shows through in this, like it, like the first aspects of it show through in this Comiskey scene. Yep. Like she has trouble opening up and later on it shows through in the boat scene when she says, when you love someone, you just have to say it. Like, or whatever the line is. And then they go under the bridge and neither and of you say it. it. Yeah. Yep. It's like, there's a reason y'all didn't say it. And Which it's, a, you know. I, I thought was a, I, I, I loved that message because that's something I think, I want to say the blanket statement and say that everyone deals with. But I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's a lucky few that don't actually deal with that. Um, but I, I think even the most, um, you know, self-proclaimed softies of the world go through stuff like that, where it's like there, there's always going to be part of you that you don't open up to someone else, that you don't yeah. reveal. And um, it's simply because of stupid, childish fears because yeah. it's scary, because it's vulnerable, because whatever. Yeah. And you can always psychoanalyze it and trace it back to some bigger issue or like, oh, well, it's because my parents got divorced or it's because someone hurt me in the past or it's because, sorry, I'm taking a very, I'm taking a very like mean tone with that. I didn't mean to. No, no. Those are real no, no. issues, but. No, they're real. And also, we never once hear about Julianne's parents. Now, granted, there's not really an opportunity to hear about them, but. If I were to point to a cause of why she's the way she is without like you have to infer because they never talk about it or they never really show it, but I'd probably venture a guess that there's something that happened within her relationship with her parents. I would think so too. Yeah, that's usually I mean well, that's, that's usually the culprit. Yeah, that's a that's a very easy fallback because it's not a scapegoat at all. It's 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 real. Like your parents are whether you whether you want to admit it or not, your parents are always going to be one of your first sources 
for information about the real world, about relationships, whether they're platonic or romantic or whatever. They're, they're your first source for views about the real world, about political stuff, about mm-hmm. money, about jobs, about everything. Like they're your first role models, whether you acknowledge it or not. And it, it, it's so easy to have that impact your psyche. Um, yep. So I, I, I actually love that that was a, that was kind of like the underlying message of the movie was that she's closed up and she's, she's admitting both to herself and eventually finally Michael that her lack of ability to open up, open up and trust someone else with those emotions, with those thoughts Mm-hmm. is the reason she's losing Michael. Mm-hmm. And it sucks, but it's it's a part of life. That happens a lot more often yeah. than we care to admit. Yep. I mean, I've several times on this podcast even I've I've sat here and said that like I love doing big romantic gestures and being super you know cuddly and all that stuff and but I swear to God, there have been more times than not that I have ruined a situation because I was still not willing to open up entirely. And it's it's just it's one of those things that's like it becomes out of your control where it, it's it, oh my god it's it's like it's like one of those dreams where you're watching from third person and you're just watching yourself make all the fucking mistakes and fuck up and you're like no don't do that. But you're still going to do that because I'm not in control of you. <laughs> so I did like that that was a message, the underlying message to it. Because, you know, I, agree. I like to find the underlying message. Of course. That's what rom-coms are all about. That's what we've tried to implement within this podcast is that there's more to read than just even in the quote-unquote traditional formulaic rom-coms there's still more to read yep that can be exactly. within life exactly and this movie really takes that in yeah of it. yeah um, you know but the comiskey scene leads to the karaoke scene as we mentioned and uh and this is where kimmy overcomes her fear and sings horribly but at the same time gets closer to michael because of it right it's just like at first she's the third wheel. God, and I miss she's the one who's uh, me too. I, I was the whole time I was there, I just kept thinking of Trader Tots. That place reminded <laughs> me of Trader Tots. I did too. I totally <laughs> did. That place reminded me of Trader Tots 100%. We need to uh, get there when they, when they have a vaccine for this shit next summer, hopefully. <laughs> like yeah. we're going to Trader Tots. Definitely. Um, but the. The thing is, the scene begins with her, with Kimmy being the third wheel, and it ends with Julianne being the third wheel. That's true, yeah. Like, yeah, granted, it's supposed to be that way because there's the whole, she, Julianne's trying to, you know, embarrass Kimmy and it backfires is the kind of the idea. But it's also very, you know, prescient of just like how Julianne feels with 
with Michael. We're just like, yeah, we have this friendship. We have this deep connection. And then this girl finds a way to win. And that's always what it's going to be because she's going to be the wife. Mm-hmm. So even when Michael and I have our moments, at the end of the day, he's going to be in awe of her. He's going to be with her sort of thing. Right, right. And so, you know, I just the whole, the song and the, the everyone cheering for her and everything else, I get like that's a, it's a famous scene from this movie. It's okay as a scene, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah. but like, but it's more about the interpersonal dynamics between the three of them. Mm. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I I think it it there's a lot of subtlety to that scene. Mm-hmm. There there's a lot of subtlety the whole movie, but that is yes. that's one of the first scenes where you start really noticing it. That like all of yeah. the different facial expressions that come up. Throughout the movie, and especially in that scene, uh, like there were several times throughout the movie, I laughed so hard just at facial expression. <laughs> we'll get to that. But like this was a this was an example of that where it's like there's a lot of subtleties that helped convey all of these inferred emotions, inferred messages. That you're absolutely right. That was a great scene for that. Yes, and. But then, you know, Juliet gets to have her moment with Michael. And that's how this all kind of goes. Like, when the three of them are together, Julianne loses her power in each situation to Kimmy. Kimmy wins. Kimmy always. Like, even though Kimmy says Julianne wins in the elevator at the beginning of the movie, Kimmy keeps winning these com- these competitions between the three of them when it comes to Mike's attention and affection. But then when, it's, when Juliet gets the opportunity to be with Michael, then it's, you know the familiar friendship beats when they're sitting on the train steps of, you know, the L and everything else like that. Right. And then that's what keeps her, that's what keeps Julianne hanging on to this horrible plot to end this wedding. You know, Um, it's just, is those interpersonal moments that she has with Mike. And it's, and I have a hard time figuring. I have a hard time figuring if that's like, if it's just them being the friends that they are, or if they are enjoying flirting to like kind of test out, is this really it? Like, if not only Julianne's trying to convince I, herself that this is it, but if also Mike's trying to convince himself, maybe this is it. I wondered and, that the whole time too. And it's just, if it's that vague, then it probably isn't it. And going back to the boat scene that we mentioned, if you can't say it, then the, then you probably know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which also is a reminder of me and Kate. <laughs> oh, if we can't say it, then, yeah, but nonetheless, um, we won't go too far into that. Uh, but. So, you know, but she keeps holding on to this idea, even though she's not completely convinced even herself. It's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. Yeah. And so she then creates this whole plot against Mike's career, which really gets bad. Like the the whole, you know, maybe he gets a PR job. And honestly, 
her plan isn't a bad plan. If he, like, he could be the PR guy of someone. It's like, do you really need to write about sports? Like, do you really need to write about sports? I, I, I know I was initially, I initially went to the U of O to be a journalist and to be a sportscaster, and I gave up on that early. I, I can watch sports, and if he had known what podcasts were going to become, <laughs> like he could, he may, have, he may have jumped ship and gotten a nice bank job instead. Um, but like, it's a lot easier to just be like, "Do I need to be a journalist?" Like with blogs and with podcasts and everything. Yeah. Because at that time, he has a job with a sport magazine. It's kind of hard. Yeah. To give that job up. I mean, but, yeah. Look at the look at the era. Like, look at the size of their cell phones. Mm-hmm. Like, my God, those were bricks. She's looking around for a brick to throw through the the window at one point to get into the building. I'm like, just use your damn cell phone. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and but yes, I, you know, that she. So I mean, that whole plot happens. And Kimmy tries to bring it up at that dinner. What'd you make of that dinner scene that they had? The lobster restaurant? No, no. The dinner scene where uh, Michael said, my job's not good enough. And then Kimmy's just like, no, no, don't go. I'd die without you sort of thing. Oh, that was, that whole thing made me super uncomfortable. I agree. (laughs) It was super uncomfortable. I was, if I was there at the table, I would have like gotten up and just like removed myself from the situation. I would just been like, please excuse me. I need to leave. Like, and it just showed the immaturity of a 20 year old just being like, I die without you. Sort of thing. Yeah. That made her so much less attractive, actually. (laughs) That made her so, (laughs) that made her so. That's my thought of her at, at that moment. Like, it's so less. Like, she just shows that she's, like, almost, like, this elevated state of her as a character, where she's just, like, elevated beyond the normal thought process of things, like Kimmy is. Like, she's just, like, I get you're her best friend. I get you guys have a relationship. I get this and that. But, like, at the same time, I love him. And I'm going to love him. And yada, yada. And it's, like, I just have this elevated view of interpersonal relationships to where I just understand that this is what it is sort of thing. Well, and then, but then the fucking, the absolute like inkling that something's going to go wrong in the relationship. I die without you. Don't leave. It's like, how elevated are you really? Like, like she's like this, she's this close to like threatening to kill herself in order for him not to leave. I mean, like when you're that committed in a relationship, like, we all have those thoughts, you know? Like, you're that committed to someone. Someone is that ingrained in your life. You definitely have those feelings where it's like, if I lose this person, what am I? Like, I need this person. This is my other half. And that's that's beautiful. That's a, When you actually feel that way about someone, like, truly feel that way about someone, it's beautiful. But you do it in a more adult way. Like, yes. And you certainly don't fucking shout it out as he's getting up from a table. Like, yes. do it in private if you need to. But, like, how old are you? Yeah. So you have this great chasmous contrast between 
this immature, childish version of a character in Cameron Diaz's character, Kimmy. And then you have the other extreme where Julianne, is that her name? Yes, that's Julia Roberts, yeah. Julia Roberts' character is the other extreme, too smart for her own good, where she's she's adult and mature. So how do adults and mature people handle these situations? Oh, they fucking scheme and plot and manipulate. Mm-hmm. So she's going to outmaneuver everyone in the entire situation. And so if I were him in that situation, if he had any inkling to what was actually happening, like I'm, I'm watching this scene going, just please, dude, please just save the whole movie and just get up from the table and leave both of them. <laughs> like you deserve better than either of them please no he doesn't because he's a big fucking doofus the whole fight he's just like oh, then we discover what a, what a fucking doofus he is the entire fucking well, no. thing yeah he, he's an insecure doofus because he's immediately like, my job's not good enough for you and it's like stop reading into it like you automatically think that because you don't make a lot of money and she's a billionaire so these are obviously your it, like insecurity is coming through that you've already had throughout the entire relationship. It's like, if you have these insecurities, you probably should have communicated them before fucking yelling at a dinner right before exactly. your goddamn wedding. Exactly. Again, also- brings me back to my point of having an argument in private. Like, you're bringing up issues that need to be discussed. Like, yeah, and this is not a petty point. argument. If you really are that worried about your job and how it affects the relationship, this is something worth talking about. Stop arguing about it. Go home and actually talk about it. Communicate these things. And on top of that, there's also the whole, like, when he gets the facts later on from Julianne's email that accidentally got sent out and he, you know, says it's over. He still shows up to the fucking brunch. He stills like, uh, and then decides, oh, I'm going to marry her anyway. And it's like, you're a fucking spineless doofus you can't make any goddamn decision it's and it's not just because you quote unquote love kimmy but it's because you're a goddamn wuss who can't make a goddamn decision yeah it kind of felt like he was just settling the entire movie he like he never seemed sure of what he wanted yeah throughout the fucking movie he was the most infuriating character of the three and julia was trying to break up a wedding so that's saying something (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway uh, um, no, you're so right yeah but the best thing about kimmy and mike staying together is that it causes julianne to you know call george and hit her minibar and get woken up the next day by george Which I, thought was hilarious. I was laughing the whole scene of that let's give it up for the best character of the goddamn movie and one of the greatest performances in a rom-com just ever. Rupert Everett as George. He is goddamn phenomenal in this film. He was really good. He got off to a slow start, but then he turned it the fuck around. Just what he's trying, like they wrote in that interview on Entertainment Weekly that I mentioned at the very beginning, that he plays the conscience of Julianne. He's her conscience. He's the one who tells her how it's supposed to go. And at O'Hare, the first time when she lets him go, 
He's the one who tells her, you're going to tell him that you love him. And he's going to choose Kimmy. And you're going to say goodbye. Because that's what you came here to do. Like, he's the conscience of the movie who's constantly telling her, this is what you're supposed to fucking do. Be a big girl. Go do it. And move on with your life. And become the person that you're supposed to become in order to attract your future partner, whomever they may be. Yep. Or just move on with your life in general. So... He automatically comes in as almost like, uh, just like the audience, the audience's like champion. Like this is the person that we want. Like come in and exactly. save this movie. The, the voice of reason. Yes. And then when Julianne can't say it because she can never say it because she doesn't actually really love Michael that way. She loves him, but she doesn't love him that way. And so she says that they're engaged. He, the way he turns it on her is so good. Mm. Now, when they initially wrote the script, it was only a couple lines from George. He was not supposed to be this big a character. But then they realized that they needed a conscious character. And so they wrote a bigger part for him because of Rupert Everett's abilities and also what they figured needed to be done for the script. And it was huge. Like, it just... First off, the car scene from the like fitting when when he's talking when the three of them are in the back of the cab. And, well, oh yeah, he's like he just like grabs her boob. He's just well, yeah, he's constantly feeling on her, and he's just like he's like she <laughs> asks him to wear wear his ring, and like fucking just she's like. It completely volunteered him for this situation he does not want to be in. He just wanted to be helpful and be supportive. And now she's completely entered him into this lie. He's like, all right, bitch, I'm going to fucking make it the worst thing for you. Like, you brought this on yourself sort of thing. I did enjoy just, that. Yeah. Yes. And so he's like feeling on her the entire time. Like, especially at the end of the dressing scene when she like just flat out says, you came here to... uh Fuck me. Which is a hilarious line. And then he goes, because it would take two hours. Because it it would take hours. Because he doesn't really know. (laughs) And and so the comedy of this like 15 minutes is so... I laughed to the point of tears the entire time like he was in Chicago for those 15 minutes. Like when he gets to the church... And she's just like, all right, play it cool, play it cool. And the next thing, when he introduces himself, hey, <laughs> just like, <laughs> and the, the Kimmy's like, oh my God. And she's just like, he's yelling back at Kimmy. And then he spanks her. Oh, like, yeah. And like, <laughs> and then Julia's just like, you're going to play this up, aren't you? He's like, absolutely. <laughs> And he continues at the at the uh, lobster and dinner then scene. And goes to the lobster dinner scene, which is the iconic scene of the film. Everyone remembers the scene, those who remember the film. You obviously didn't know the film. No, I this did is, not. This is, yeah, this is the scene everyone remembers from this film. Everyone, like, when someone says, my best friend's wedding, and you play a scene from it, this is the scene people play. Mm. And so... And just the whole story of how he's in a mental institution with someone who thinks they're Dionne Warwick. And what Dionne Warwick said to him when he had seen a vision 
MP. Yeah. If she doesn't like pink. Yeah, and she's like, well, she wore pink this time. And Dion said to me, yeah, the moment I wake up, and when I put on my makeup, and the fucking twins, I say, I don't know where are you. Uh, but it was the mom first. But, yeah. but, uh, it's just, everyone's singing that song, like, Whenever that song comes on, people think of my best friends. Like, like that is, like, so I guess PJ Hogan had mentioned, the, the director mentioned that he wanted a big musical scene in, he, like, he'd always thought about just, like, a dinner scene of, like, people singing. And he had thought about, like, the scene and everything else. And he was just, like, he even talked to his wife and was like, what do you think of, like, a scene like this where people start singing and everything else? And then, you know. He thought that that song was a song that everyone kind of knew, which I didn't know until this movie. Like, this movie kind of... Like, everyone knows this song now because of this scene. I, I don't think people knew this song going into this scene. Uh, well, it, it's someone who has never seen this movie before. I knew of the song. See, I I did not know the song before I saw the scene. Of course, I was nine. Um, and now whenever I think of this so like I've never thought of that song without thinking of my best friend's wedding and the fucking and like when the whole entire restaurant starts singing they play it on the piano and then just everyone's singing and like swaying and like people with the lobster claws on their hands fucking waving their hands back and forth. <laughs> I saw that at the end yes. and it's just and the way that Rupert Everett dances the scene with like my dress saw like he just like all that it is phenomenally just phenomenal from it's performance great. to direction to just complete like absolute idea in the first place it is so well done it is it, it deserves to be on the pantheon of rom-com scenes it is fantastic any thought any additional thoughts on that scene no i agree i think it was a i think it was a well done scene and yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly. The, the the lobsters were phenomenal. I I laughed so hard when I saw them pop up in the background. Yeah, and the other aspect of it was just like I knew this scene. I knew this scene was coming up. I had seen the scene before, you know, yada yada, and so on and so forth. I watched it last night when I watched the film, and I laughed. The entire time. I laughed as if it was the first time I'd seen the scene. It is that well done. It's very it is, well done. It, it is laughter inducing. You just can't help but smile and everything else. It just, ah, so good. And then George leaves. He says that thing at O'Hare that I mentioned earlier. And then Michael mentions that he got crazy jealous. And, it, and once again, when Juliet's about to get out, Michael pulls her back in because he's a fucking doofus. <laughs> and that's when they have the boat scene. Which we talked about how they can't really say I love you to each other. They do dance. They do. What did, you, what did you think of the boat scene? Well, the boat scene, I, I thought it was... I thought it was... Well, considering, considering how hard it is for me to even answer the question, I think that's clear how I feel about it. It's yeah. 
I was torn. Like I really, I liked the moment. I loved the dancing. I loved when they panned backwards and they showed everyone on the boat paying attention to the tour. And you just see them in the background at the back of the boat dancing in their own little world. I loved that. That was nice. Um, I loved the discussion about, you know, admitting feelings for each other, but then not admitting feelings for each other inevitably. Um, I didn't, I didn't love that part, uh, but I liked that they delved into some of that. Um, I loved the song choice. Yeah. I loved that it was an architecture tour. I mean, you know me. Like, I fucking <laughs> yeah. love architecture tours in Chicago. Anyone who's listening, if you come to Chicago, you need to take an architectural boat tour. That was it's, something my sister Rebecca and I did. When it, she came, she, she It's so it cool, right? It's cool as shit. Absolutely. So, and just be, you know, hit me up. You know, feel free to DM me if you want some extra architectural history. <laughs> but I will not ruin the architectural tour for you. Um, but uh, aside from the the surface level stuff of that scene, it was another scene that made me uncomfortable. Where it was like I like this whole fucking movie made me uncomfortable. There's so much about it I loved, but there was so much that still made me uncomfortable at the same time. It was really weird. Yeah. And, and that was another scene where it's just like, you guys, like, yeah, like, really? Like, I get the timing aspect of this whole thing that, you know, he's getting married. So, of course, that brings feelings to the surface and that forces the issue kind of thing. But really, really, you have to pick this as the time to finally realize your feelings. And and then and then he's playing into it. It's like. What do you have to gain out of this? You're already getting married. You're supposedly in love with this girl. Well, that's the thing. Like, it, it comes down to, like, it comes back to what they say, where, you know, if you love someone, you you have to tell them. You, and you can't, like, you just can't help yourself but tell them. And they never say it to each other. It's because they know that this person that they're with on this boat is someone that they could trust, someone they can depend on, someone that they do indeed love, but the love is a friendship love. Right. And it's not the type of romantic love that you tell to someone and like just shout to the fucking rooftops. And they know deep down that if they ever were to get into a relationship, they would lose that friendship. It's something where it's just like they constantly think about it. Like, I mean, how how hard would it be to take that next next step? It's a very easy thing to think about when you have someone that close. It's just like, well, so it'd be the same thing, just that you would take that next step, right? But there's also an aspect where it's just like, why hasn't it taken that next step? And at a certain point, you have to kind of ask yourself that question and realize that the answer is because it's not supposed to. Yes, exactly. And so they, know the, an- they know the answer, but they just haven't acknowledged it yet they're ignoring that answer julianne because she's scared and honestly mike because he's scared because he's got a little bit of cold feet because he's about to jump into a goddamn lifelong commitment it's easy to fucking be scared at that moment of course so it's just two people who are scared and going back to each other one last time to provide comfort 
but they realize that this is not a long lasting comfort that they need to seek and that they need to move on from this codependent friendship that they had for the last decade. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. That's the fucking movie. Yeah. That's the whole fucking movie is realizing what it's the last like, hurrah of a codependent friendship from over a decade. Yep. Yep. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Which I've had, which I get. Yeah. Uh, I've also had the reverse of it where you have the relationship first and then you spend years not talking and then you finally kind of reinitiate contact and realize that friendship really was the better way to go in the first place. Mm hmm. And that that's really what you miss about each other. It, it's like it, the two are so intertwined. That's why movies like this exist because, you know, when you're with someone that you, you know, you want to spend the rest of your life with, it's not that dissimilar from the same kind of platonic love that you have for a best friend. Mm -hmm. It's just, amplified or you know um well yeah amplified that's that's really the best way to put it it's it's just it's bigger than any friendship you've had that's all it is but in the end it's still your best friend like that's who you're marrying that's who you're with is your best friend yep it's the person that you're sharing all your secrets with that you're sharing the the darkest parts of yourself with the one that you're trusting. So, yep. you know, it, it's, it, but in, at the end of the day, it's still a version of friendship. So I, I know there's, there's other languages that have like completely different words for these sorts of things. And I, I keep, there was one time that I learned a couple different terms and I wish I could remember them, but I want to say like, I want to say, I want to say Hindu or maybe, I don't know, maybe like Chinese or something. Those are two completely different things, but um, <laughs> th there was like multiple where it wasn't just love. Like love was not the only word. It was like all of these different forms of love, but they all had the root, the same root word. You know how like our language has like a root word and then you add on a prefix or a suffix or it has like, you know, derivatives of that word. Yep. It was like that where it was like the root word was about love, but then it was like these different variations of the word in order to express the kinds of love you felt. And it was not about the relationship you had. It was not about the person. It was not about anything like that. It was more, it was deeper than that. It was about the emotion you felt. So I guess comparably it'd be like saying platonic versus romantic, but um, I think that's a great way to, to put love. And I think this movie kind of helps show just how complicated it can fucking get because you can spend your whole life trying to figure out how you freaking feel about people and it's still going to be complicated. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, you know, and that, you know, complication leads to Julianne making a horrible decision and writing this email. Oh, my God. She then decides, I mean, I can't send this. But then she saves it for later because she just wants him to see it. And, of course, it gets sent anyway, which then leads to the facts and leads to him saying it's over. Yeah, we never, like, we never discuss how it got sent. Because No, no, because when he before he leaves for the stag party that Julianne is taking him to, the, uh, the dad of Kimmy, he tells his assistant, I have four or five saved emails. Go ahead and send those out. One of those oh, emails. I totally missed that. Okay. So, um, yeah. So basically, it gets sent out because she stupidly saved it for later, and she instead of just deleting it. So, um, yeah, it, it's. I mean, there's not much to say other than it's unforgivable, but it's also a need needed plot point in order to move the plot forward of the whole. You know, to in order to set up the next scene, which is the next day at the brunch, where the two of where she's going back and forth between the two of them. Is it just like, is it unforgivable though? Like imagine someone doing that to you. Yeah. Like, could you, could you forgive? Like, this is someone that you've known for. I was literally thinking the same thing. Okay. So let's do this. I was thinking the same prop to you. Okay. Um, Like, so let's imagine it's each other, but it's a female version of each other. Okay. Okay, and imagine the female version of me does what she does. Like we have our friendship that we have in real life, and in this podcast, and this female version of me has done all this stupid shit to your wedding because she wants to, because she loves you, wants to be with you. Mm. Do you forgive her after everything? Yeah, I was kind of struggling with that in the movie where I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I kind I, of, I kind I, of agree with Michael's thought where he tells her, "Thank you for feeling that way about me. I'm flattered." I agree with that I, line. I did too. It seems yeah. like it seems like it shouldn't be like that's kind of dismissive. Like it seems like you're letting him go with some really horrible behavior. But at the same time, I can't help but feel that way. Like, yeah, I, I, I like that you think that you felt that strong about me at this moment. Right. It's fucked up, but I like that you were that strong about it. Yeah, that's a good. No, that's a good way to put it. Like, when you have a history, it would, it would like take me a while to. It would take me a while to trust you fully yeah, again. But, but like, I would. The, the I would be. Will never be the, the friendship will never be the same, but at the same time, the friendship was never going to be the same because he's about to get married. Right. So it's just like, what exactly are you truly losing? Like, she's still a friend. You still love her, but she's going to be someone in your past and not someone in your present. So and if she is, if she is going to be someone in your present, she needs to, she needs to evolve. Mm-hmm. She needs to evolve, and the relationship between the two of you needs to evolve. Yes. They both need to change. Yes. 100%. So, I, I agree with you on that. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was weird. I, again, but, made me fucking uncomfortable the whole fucking movie. I know. 
I mean, because there's the whole, I thought the scene with the balloons was, it looked cool, but then why the hell are they singing with helium? It's just like, oh. that was one too many musical <laughs> things that the director tried to put in. And it's just also like, I get that you guys technically broke up, but I don't want to be the messenger between you two, like yelling back and forth, or, like talking back and forth to each other sort of thing. Yeah. Like, why was, why was she the middleman the whole damn time? Because they had technically broken up. Like technically he, the last thing he said to her, it's, it's over over the phone. You're getting married prior to that. No, Learn he, to grow the fuck up and talk to each other. Don't expect <laughs> someone else to take care of it for even, you. Even more infuriating, she has not told anyone that he told her it's over. Yeah. So well, she she is hoping for a miracle is what she said. She's a fucking child. We established that. Yes. And he has not nutted up and told people that I'm fucking done with her because he doesn't want to be done with her because even though she set up basically to where almost try to get him fired from his dream sports writing job. He still kind of wants to be with her anyway. And it's like, that's fucking what? Well, can you blame him? I mean, I would, I would take Julia Roberts over Cameron Diaz any day, but he's taking Cameron Diaz over Julia Roberts. No, but even though, oh, you're saying he thinks Cameron Diaz got him fired. That's okay. I see. No, Cameron Diaz is trying to get him fired because she's trying to go through her dad to get him fired. That's the whole idea of the email. Anyway, so, but he can't help it. And so then Julie Roberts has to go with the fucking truth at the end of the gazebo. And then that leads to the kiss of the film. <laughs> this is a fantastic kiss. It was, there's, there's so many great things about it. It's so, it's set up perfectly. And it's so romantic and sweet. And the aftermath of it is nothing but, Rose-colored glasses, and are you fucking yeah. kidding me with this shit? Like, this was the antithesis <laughs> of rom-com event here. Like, my god. Here's the thing. My grade's not that bad on it. Here's why. Yeah, the, no, why? the kiss itself wasn't bad. It was actually yeah, not yeah. bad. Here, yeah. So one, the speech leading up to it is the first time Julianne is actually honest with Mike. Right. Which in and of itself makes the kiss a little more endearing. Where she finally is like, choose me, marry me. Like that's what the we could have saved an hour and a half if he had just said that to begin with. On really the could have phone. Just yeah, start that in the fucking beginning of the movie. Yes. Like, but of course we wouldn't have a movie without it. So therefore, ergo, we have to do all this. Um, and then the actual kiss, she kisses him, and like there's the love and feelings that he has for her showing through, but also he never puts his arms around her. He never it never in, comes back to her, and he's the one who pulls away. So when we're talking 90-10, this is more 99-1. She goes 99, <laughs> and he goes 1. We're just like, hey, I love you, but it's not that kind of love anymore. It's right. Never been, just hasn't been that kind of love anymore. And he's the one who pulls away. And of course, Kimmy sees it. It really pushes the plot forward to the final scene, which they actually had to uh, you know, implement and um, implement some dialogue in it. But anyway, as far as the kiss itself, I would give it a solid B. Because I think as a plot device, it's done well. 
and technically the kiss is done well. It's just the whole other aspects of it that make it to where it's not a full-fledged A because, you know, they aren't supposed to be together and they don't end up together. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd give it a C. It, the kiss itself wasn't bad. Uh, that that was the saving grace of it. But the kiss was rushed. She like jumped his bones to get the kiss, yeah. which I mean, in a normal circumstance, I would not be opposed to at all. For the record, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know me. I love when the girl makes makes a move to like. <laughs> uh, I'm right there with you. So yeah. Um, but uh, it, it was it was rushed. It was kind of forced. Uh, it was it was cut short, of course, by him seeing Kimmy, and then the whole circumstances of the of the kiss just completely ruined it for me. Where it was just like I I cannot get into this moment at all. Like I yeah. I want to like this kiss, but yeah. I like you've spent an hour and a half building up to this moment, and it is the worst possible moment. For it, yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. To me, it was a worthy C, maybe C plus, but yeah. But this then leads to the chase scene, which you know also leads to one of the best parts of dialogue in the entire film, um, which is actually in uh, the director mentioned in one of those interviews I read, where. It was a piece of dialogue that they that he had thought about for a while. He's like, what can be said here that would help this, you know, this the plot and everything else? And he realized he needed something that would set that care set Julianne straight, but also make it to where the audience wouldn't fully turn on her because she's doing some villainous shit here. Yeah. And and well, so that's that's, that's where, where the conscience where, comes in. Yes, and that's where he came up with the, you know, with George the conscience, of course, as he mentioned, saying, so he's chasing her, and you're chasing him. Who's chasing you? Fantastic line. Great Fantastic fucking line. line. I've never forgotten that line since I've heard it. That's really good logical reasoning. That's a very good rational spin on irrational versions of love like love there's nothing rational about love when you are in love it's it's irrational you are insane yes (laughs) and that's great because love is supposed to do that when you are truly in love with someone you're uh you're it's a weird combination of being completely centered and being yourself your purest self Mm-hmm. but also being batshit crazy. Yeah. And, and that is a very good, simple, rational spin on it. Just boiling it down to the bare minimum saying, well, who's chasing you? Because that immediately puts an image in your head saying, you are committing all of this effort, but you need the effort in return as well. It's a two way street. It's not a one way street. So if, if you're 
going out on a limb for all of this stuff and you're finally making yourself vulnerable, but you're not getting anything back, no matter how good it feels to you to finally open yourself up to someone, if you're not getting that same level of commitment back, it's not looking good. Mm-hmm. And also, Union Station is nowhere near Michigan Avenue, which you've already discussed. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and then they end up at Union Station, and that's when we find out that that's where he proposed and everything else like that. What did you think of the Union Station scene, just in general? I love Union Station. Union Station is beautiful. Uh, I like It's designed by one of my favorite all-time architects, Daniel Burnham. Um, who makes a wonderful appearance in the book uh, Devil in the White City, which I recommend if you've never read it. Um, but uh, it's it's a beautiful place, and I have a lot of personal attachment to it because when I first moved to the city, um, I started dating someone that lived out in the suburbs at the time. So I would take the commuter train from Union Station out to the suburbs. And she would come in on the commuter train to Union Station. I would drive over and pick her up. And it was it was the first time I'd lived in a big city like that and, and been it was like my version of Grand Central Station. So it was like it was beautiful. It was super romantic and super just like cliche as as fuck. It was amazing. And um I still remember when we started dating, we met at a New Year's Eve party and the first the first date we went on, she came into the city during a snowstorm, during a blizzard. It was like negative 13 degrees. Um, and we went out to a super awkward wine date. And then we both loosened up and we're like, hey, do you want to go here? And and the other person was like, oh, my God, I've been wanting to go there and I've never been. And we're like, let's let's go here. We, we ended up going to Revolution Brewing, which uh, which you've been to. Right. We've been to. Yep. Yeah, yep. We've, we've gone there several times yep. together, um, which is it was so much better than the, the like super uppity wine bar that we were at. And we loosened the fuck up. We were there for like five hours. It was amazing. But I was a. I was a child about it and didn't want to kiss her in the middle of this snowstorm because it wasn't romantic enough. <laughs> I didn't I didn't want our first kiss to be like at a you know a CTA, you know, the, the L station or something or whatever. So we get back to Union Station and I walk her through and she's telling me how the Great Hall of Union Station, which is like this big beautiful uh stained glass uh ceiling of well where where julia roberts and dermot mulroney meet up yeah in that scene um she was telling me about how that's one of her favorite spots in the city and she always thought grand central or not grand central (laughs) Um, union station was super romantic and and i'm missing all of these cues and I walk her to the train and I think I even said something like, I'm not going to kiss you because this isn't romantic enough. And in after, in an afterthought, I'm thinking you're a fucking idiot. Like what? Yeah. So I, I drop her off of the train. 
I walk her down the platform. I leave her there. We say our goodbyes. We establish a second date. We both had fun. It's going to, it's going to culminate into a second date. And I turn around and walk away. And like literally halfway down the platform, I stop in my tracks and I say to myself, the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. I turn around, I sprint down the platform just about just as she's about to get on the train. I grab her arm, I spin her around, and I kiss her. And it's still to this day easily the best first kiss I've ever had. It was amazing and super romantic and the irony of the fact that i spent the entire evening fretting about that it wasn't romantic enough to have it culminate in something like that that i didn't plan goes to show that like you know don't fucking plan things just roll with it just enjoy it and if it's meant to be it'll happen so I personally love that scene because of Union Station, because of the personal connection I have to Union Station. It, it was a, it was a great scene, and and the fact that you know they were talking about proposing and everything, like the romance behind the station, behind the that part of town, is perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, of course, leads to. Uh, Comiskey Park with the bathroom scene between Julianne and Kimmy. When she finally admits that that Kimmy won. Yes, and actually Kimmy had, well they had originally written that scene. So what ended up happening is that there's an original ending to the film that tested horribly with, uh, with the audience and then they rewrote the ending. Really? Yes. So in the original ending, after, like, it kind of goes through, they, uh, Mike and Kimmy get married, and then Julianne meets a stranger, played by John Corbett. Um, okay. Who's Sex in the City. Right, the, right. Yeah, films, yeah. So, he, and so basically she, you know, kind of falls for him, and so it's just kind of like, that's her happily ever after that she kind of falls for this stranger randomly at the wedding sort of thing. And she kind of gets her her guy, which is a new guy. Audiences hated it. They just were like, there wasn't enough of a come up that's where sort of thing. That was the whole idea and everything else. Hmm. So uh, because of that, uh, so they reshot the ending and rewrote it. And because of that, the director's like, well, I mean, there's a couple other scenes we could stand to rewrite, and one of them was the bathroom scene. So the original bathroom scene, Kimmy was very forgiving upfront because that's how Kimmy had always been. But Cameron Diaz kind of always mentioned she didn't really get why she was so forgiving to Julianne the whole time. So they rewrote it to be like this, which I thought was a good choice. Like I Kimmy agree. finally gets to say, you know, what the fuck? Sort of thing. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's bullshit. And then, I mean, I don't like how they created, like, this whole, like, Jerry Springer, Springer moment with these random ladies that they're doing, like, shots to, like, to get reaction shots throughout. Yeah. It's like, why? But, 
Um, but at the same time, the actual stuff that's said, even though it's a little performative and everything else, still is valid. Um, and I feel like that's a good, you know, button to put on Kimmy and Julianne's relationship throughout the film. It at least makes it plausible that Julianne's still at the wedding as the maid of honor. <laughs> yeah, that's I true. Yeah. What did you like? No, I now that you pointed out the alternative, I I agree. I liked that they addressed the issue that they didn't just sweep it under the rug and uh, Kimmy just magically forgives her. Like I, I'm glad they addressed it and they had like a little, you know, mini fallout. I guess. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a little cheesy, like you said, with the people watching. Um, yeah. But uh, and I also thought that I don't know. I thought that Julia Roberts admitting that admitting everything that she'd messed up was a little unrealistic. But I mean, that's that's not really a quality observation considering rom-coms are not realistic anyway. So yeah. Um, Uh, Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. But Um, actually, can we take a moment to just like, I know we discussed it in Notting Hill, but we could take a moment to just acknowledge in spite of that scene and what I just said about Julia Roberts. Can we, can we, Take a moment to just acknowledge just how fucking good an actress Julia Roberts is. Well, that's the whole thought is that this movie works and it does so many things against type. Like it gives you all the rom-com beats between Julianne and Mike without the actual payoff because they're not supposed to end up together. And then it completely, you know, subverts the type. And the whole reason that it all works and that you can still be okay with the main character despite all the bullshit she's pulling is because it's Julia Roberts performing it. Totally. Yeah, because even at the end of the movie, I, I was like, that's it? Are you fucking kidding me? I just wasted an hour and 45 minutes to watch them not end up together? Yeah. This is I mean, bullshit. This is not a rom-com. But then I walked it. away from it going, oh, but it is Julia Roberts. And that was fun to watch. And the and the phone call she gets, and like she she gives the song to Mike and Kimmy, which is like her way of finally letting go. And then they get the the one last hug, and then they drive off with the sparklers, which is right. cool looking, but also a fire hazard with all those trees. And then <laughs> and then George has the call, and he's talking to her on the phone, and he comes over, and then there will be dancing, and it's just like. Once again, just bring in the character that everyone loved one last time. And I right. thought that was a great way. There's a great uh, thing that the director said in, in an interview. He said the uh, the studio called it uh, the $40 million rewrite. Or, you know, like the 40, yeah, the $40 million rewrite. And the director's like, it did not cost us $40 million to reshoot those. And the network or the exec was like, no, no, no. Not how much it costs to make, how much it's extra it's going to make us in the box office. Oh. And I feel like they really did a good job with those reshoots as far as the bathroom scene and also just the way that that ending scene happened with the call and George being Yeah, back. yeah, I, I did like and also, that. And just giving her just like a, hey, you were kind of a bitch this whole time, but 
go ahead and have a smile at the end with some dancing. <laughs> like, yeah, it was like I, it, it was not a romantic ending, but it was a happy ending. It was a happy ending, and that's that's what everyone also mentions when it comes to this rom-com. Just like what, like how it gives a happy ending without actually a romantic ending. And and for all of the shit that I usually give rom-coms, which is ironic because I love rom-coms that are cliche and unrealistic as fuck, but all of the shit that I usually give to rom-coms that are unrealistic, mm-hmm. and for even me mentioning unrealism in this. Mm-hmm. I liked how much it actually kind of stayed true to life lessons. Like it was, it was pretty honest. Like not everything in life is going to be a rom-com and hunky dory and rose colored and perfect. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to always get your way and things aren't going to go as planned, but you can still find happiness. It's not the end of the movie where, shit went awry and you're screwed, you know? Yeah. There were yeah. plenty of messages like that throughout the movie. Like, like you said, the, the best line even was a, a great example of that where he's yeah. just like, well, who's chasing you? That's a great life, a miniature life lesson right there. Mm-hmm. Like, just because you fantasized about this in your mind and you've built it up to be the, the end all be all for your romantic livelihood doesn't mean that the other person feels that way. doesn't mean that's how the universe is going to play out. So I, I did enjoy that this movie actually kind of stayed true to some real, real world, real life lessons. I agree. Which takes me to what happens after ever after for this film. For me, what happens after ever after is Kimmy and Mike don't make it. They divorce. Um, I was hoping you'd say that. Uh, there's no way. There's, <laughs> there's no, no way. way. Kimmy has too much life she wants to live. And she's just not going to deal with Mike's bullshit. Yeah. And Mike is not ready to be the man that she needs. I just, yep. They're just not ready for each other. And at some point, they're going to grow apart. Um, as far as just like Julianne and just everyone else... This reminded me of a show, or, or, well, of something I, I that was in a show called Love Life, which is on HBO Max. I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast, but I watched that show. But the first season was 10 episodes on HBO Max. It stars Anna Kendrick. And it's just this anthology series where it goes through Anna Kendrick's, like, you know, formative years in New York where she has all these different partners, all these different, um, you know, males and and mm-hmm. you know, everything else that she goes through life and her romantic life and just kind of grows up with them and you see her life through these like 10 episodes thing well in the 10th episode she the, the you know the episodes are named after whomever you know she's with or whatever whoever is like the other person that is the focus well okay. the 10th episode is called the person and it's about how she finds her person like at, at the yeah. end of this whole thing um, and the the way that they set it up, the way that they did everything was so well done. I won't necessarily ruin, you know, what else has happened in the show to cause, you know, her uh, attitude towards everything. But there's a narrator and the narrator narrates over this 
initial this like second meeting between her and the person, which is where she like realizes that that's the person that she's going to end up with um, or everything else. But um, I'm going to read what the narrator says. Okay. And I feel like this is, this has some connective tissue to Julianne and also to just other rom-coms we've watched. All right. Let's hear it. Narrator says she didn't instantly feel like a whole new person at long last fixed by the perfect partner. She didn't feel fireworks or hear some loud marching band announcing itself like, here it is, here's love. Instead, it was quiet and calming and still. Finally, she had stopped wondering whether or not she was worth loving and simply cracked herself open. Simply cracked her whole life open. Hmm. Hmm. That's and a I, really good take on it. And I feel like this movie is, is as a rom-com, is the closest to that. Because a lot of rom-coms just kind of go with, oh, guy, girl, you get love conquers all, and you say fuck responsibility, fuck everything else that's happened in this film. The two of us are going to be together. Right. That's it. You know? And and that in and of itself is fun. It's a, it's a fun, it, it, that's why we watch rom-coms and we will continue to watch rom-coms that do that kind of thing at the end and we will continue to enjoy them and we will continue to, you know, appreciatively review those. But if we're talking about like a realistic view of how this thing goes, it's that. Like yeah. that's what really happens. And yeah. That's, that's what's supposed to happen after ever after. And Julianne is trying to force this thing square peg into a round hole but really no, that, she needs to figure, figure herself out so she can have that kind of moment that's totally true because <laughs> even if you do have the rom-com moment where it is you know a, a choir singing and you know fireworks and everything like that wears off you don't have that the rest of your life yes what you do have is the subliminal closeness that you don't ever see on screen you don't ever see outwardly that much at all unless you're in it that's Mm -hmm. that's the mystery behind love is that you don't really understand it unless you're in it and and you said it perfectly that you, you have to have that calmness about it where it's you have to you have to crack yourself open and and be true to yourself first which we've said and, several times on this podcast. And I think that's the thing that's great about that speech there by the narrator is that there's the idea of this main character in the, in the show love life had gotten to a point where she was just like, so sure of herself and who she is as a human being and her des- de- uh, deservingness. It's deser- I don't, there's a word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> deservingness works for me. Yeah, but her deservingness of love that she understood and could comprehend that she like in a way it's almost like in order like in order to find love and to be in love in that you know all time forever after love is to be in a position where you're just like if you leave me I'll be straight because I already know I love myself and I can handle myself. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. You kind of have to put yourself in that situation to where I don't need your love to finally find the love that everyone talks about within this rom-com genre. Right. I don't, I don't need it. I want it. I prefer yes. it. Yes. And like, I already know what I need personally out of life, but now I've discovered someone and something that I want added to that life. Yeah. And the, the three characters within this film are not there. And that's the one thing that I just, it's evident that these three people have not found that centeredness of what they want out of love. And it's not going to end well for Kimmy and Mike. And Julianne needs to do some growth before she finds whomever she needs to be with. Yeah, that's very true. So that's what happens after and after. Um, Max, do you have a verdict for this film? Would you fuck, marry, or kill this film? I would, I would fuck it. Okay. Uh, it's 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 a solid movie. There's a lot of great parts to it. There's a lot of funny stuff to it. There's a lot of moments that I laughed at. Julia Roberts' acting is absolutely phenomenal, in my opinion. Uh, it's definitely worth watching. Um, but you know, it it just it lacks the pizzazz that I would prefer out of a rom com. You know, and the 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 unrealistic hunky dory stuff that I've spent the entire episode this this week, you know, ripping apart is actually the stuff that I would want. Uh, yeah. Um. So yeah, I think it's a it's a great movie to watch at least once. Yeah, I agree. I would fuck this film as well. I feel like this is a great film to watch just to kind of like, especially after watching other rom coms, you can kind of you know, see the, the form be reinvented in a way, mm-hmm. um, which is what this is. But at the end of the day, it is extremely hard to watch Julianne do her fuck shit yeah. throughout the film and be okay with it. It's like, yeah. I knew what the ending was and I knew where we were headed. So therefore I could be okay with it and watch it critically. But if someone were to just watch this cold, it's real hard to get through. It is. Time. You have to kind of know what you're watching before you come into it. But I, it is worth watching once. I'd fuck. Did you – one random thought I just had. Did you notice who – he appeared in like three scenes, so I wouldn't be surprised if you missed it. But did you notice who the priest was? I did not. So the priest between Cameron Diaz and Dermot Mul—what the hell is his name? Dermot Mulroney. Mulroney. What is it? Mulroney. Mulroney. I go Mulroney, but it might be Mulroney. I don't. Whatever. It's a made-up ass name. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Um, Between the two of them, when they get married, he's the he's the priest in the in the huge uh, church. He's also at the. Uh, I want to see he's at the lobster dinner, but he's at, it might be the other dinner. Um, but either way, he shows up a couple times. It's Eddie Harris from major league. Oh yeah. He is at the, he is at the lobster dinner. Cause he's the yeah. one who yeah, he's like, he, he, he's yeah, sitting he next to. Yeah. 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 Yes, he, 
Yeah, he also plays uh, uh, Hilton in Mad Men. Oh yeah, yeah. So I was just I was just laughing the whole time because every time I saw him, I kept thinking <laughs> of him in Major League. Going, are you saying Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? <laughs> like most religious character in the whole movie has a problem not with someone who's talking against his own religion but is saying that jesus can't hit a baseball (laughs) so i I just wanted to bring that up i thought it was major league the next film we'll do in this wedding season i'm kidding yes Uh, (laughs) um so we finished my best friend's wedding. Uh, before we get into what we'll do next, we have a little special thing we're going to do here at the end of this episode. But before that, social media time. Yep. Uh, our social media's uh, Instagram. It's Bromancing the Stone Podcast, all one handle there on Instagram. <laughs> so, Bromancing the Stone Podcast on Twitter. It is Bro the Stone Pod, B R O T H E S T O N E P O D. Um, and then on uh, Twitter, I am Supermarket Sweep without the E in Super. So S U P R Market Sweep. That's me. Uh, and then uh, on Instagram, I am Relusa88. That's R E L U S A 88. And then Max. On Instagram, I'm the Lionhearted T H E period L Y O N H E A R T E D. Perfecto. Now, we have. We, we talked about how we're going to do wedding season through the end of July. And so we've mm-hmm. both chosen one movie. You chose Wedding Crashers. I chose My Best Friend's Wedding. We thought there's not as many rom- wedding rom-coms as initially thought. There's still plenty. We're going to be able to make it through the end of this July. We may be able to even do wedding season next year as well. But it's not a tre- as, as tremendous an amount as initially thought. So we thought it'd be kind of fun to set up the rest of the schedule of July episodes by doing a mini draft. I mean, in, in the spirit of sports coming back too. Yes, of course. Sports coming back and everything else. Um, So the way this mini draft goes is that next week is your choice. So we're just going to alternate. We're going to choose next. I'm going to choose one. Then you're going to choose one. Then I'll choose one. And we're going to, we haven't discussed what, movies we're looking at what movies we're thinking about anything else like that we just know that we're going to choose basically two movies each and that's what's going to formulate the month of july in our weddings in you know wedding themed movies now if you make a choice or if i make a choice and neither of us really agree that that's a wedding rom-com we'll have a discussion here on on the on the pod and we'll we'll figure it out um but as i mentioned you get first choice because it's your week next week so max so are we just doing the snake draft then where like i choose one then it's, you not a snake, it's not even a snake draft it's just an alternate because because oh, yeah. so yeah so you go ahead and have the first pick here what wedding rom-com would you like to do next week for the first pick of the 2020 <laughs> wedding themed rom-coms draft this is for july 6th Airing on July 6th. Yes. Max Lyon chooses the wedding planner. Ah, 
with Matthew McConaughey and Jennifer Lopez. God damn was, right. Had a really good 40 time at the combine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the wedding planner will be next week's episode. All right. So that leads to me. I had two films in mind. And this was the first film that I had in mind when I thought about it. Let's hear it. We're going to go back to Richard Curtis and England. Okay. And we're going to go to four weddings and a funeral. Ooh, damn it. That was going to be my second pick. Aha! So July 13th, four, four weddings and a funeral. And I knew I was going to choose that one before I was going to choose my next one. I know I had two films, and I thought that was that had to be the first pick. So I knew that. Ha! All right, cool. Damn. So Damn, well July thirteenth, well four weddings and a funeral. Hugh Grant starring Beagle with Andy McDowell, uh, Chris and Scott Thomas, and some other folks. So, uh, yes. So July twentieth, Max. It is your choice, and you now are thinking about it. Damn it! Yeah, that. Okay. Um... Let's do. How about? Oh, I don't want to do that one. All right. For what is this? July twentieth? Is that what you said? July twentieth. Yes. All right. I think for that, I'm going to choose, ooh, ooh, okay, okay, hang on. It's a toss-up. It's not a very good toss-up. It's, all right, I'm just going to go with, um... I'm going to go with, Oh man, I can't decide. Do you uh, want to tell me and I'll flip a coin? No. No. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with twenty seven dresses. Whoa okay. We have not done a Katherine Heigel rom com. Twenty seven dresses is the movie out. On the 20th. You know what? I'm going to offer this to you. I'll choose the next one, but would you like to alternate dates so that we do 27 dresses on the 27th? Ooh. So it's still your choice, but we just alternate dates. Ooh, I kind of like that. But you would still choose the next movie after that. Yeah, the OCD part of my brain definitely... Enjoys so that. that's going to be July 27th. So it's still Max's choice and Max will still have the next one after that. But July 27th will be 27 dresses. Okay. I like that. So I'll choose the last film here, which will be on July 20th and it will be after four weddings and a funeral. And the other film I had in mind, I had a backup too. And I'm debating on whether I want to go with the backup or if I want to go with my original thought. I'm going to go with the you know, original thought. First thought, best thought. So on July 20th, we're going to do 
my big fat Greek wedding. That was the one I was debating. Ah, there you go. It was between that and 27 dresses, so I'm glad. And, All right. and, the, and the backup I had was the wedding singer. That was my backup as well. Yeah, so, so we'll save that for next year. So um, we're, we're on the same yeah. page here. Yeah, so, so the schedule is as follows. On July 6th, which is Max's choice, it is the wedding planner. On uh, July 13th, my choice, four weddings and a funeral. On July 20th, also my choice, it was we alternated. My big fat Greek wedding. And then on July 27th, it will be 27 dresses. All so right. I think that's a solid. We have three straight movies that have wedding in the title and then 27 dresses, which, I mean, it's hard not to know what that's about. So yeah, I've seen three of the four of these. No, I... I've seen two. I've seen the two that I chose. I have not seen The Wedding Planner. I have not seen 27 Dresses. Really? Yes. So this will be very intriguing. I've seen all four of these, but I don't remember that much about any of them. Honestly, I think The Wedding Planner is the one that I remember the most of. And I that's not saying much. much. I just know about the, the dumpster scene. That's it. So The dumpster scene? Yes. Even I don't remember that. Okay, never mind. This is going to be an adventure for both of us. Well, when she gets her uh, like shoe stuck, and then Matthew Connery saves her, or is that made in Manhattan? That might be made in Manhattan. I don't know. Anyway, we'll talk about it next week when we watch <laughs> the movie. But until then, for the tens and tens of listeners who have stuck around for this long ass episode. Worth it. Worth it, because it was fantastic. If my drunk ass doesn't say so. <laughs> we love y'all, and we thank y'all for listening. And we will catch you next week. Have a great week. Love you guys.